Will you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. It's amazing how our online group has just been growing by hundreds. It's just a, just a huge number of people that are joining us online each week from here and at different places across the country. We welcome you. Also, our friends in Arco, Idaho, we are so glad that you are joining us for our study this morning, as well as our friends in the hangar in Montana. So glad that you're joining us. As we continue our study of the book of Acts, entitled Rooted in Purpose, now we come to Acts chapter 2, the title of our study is spiritual momentum. How can we keep the spiritual momentum that our church had in 2014 into 2015? We really are coming off of an historic year, as I mentioned uh, last Sunday. Maybe the greatest year in our 145-year history. I mean, when you combine things like uh, the number of people who came to Christ through our, the ministries of our church this past year, uh, the number of baptisms, uh, the numeric growth, the addition of campuses and satellites, uh, the increase in finances. Do you know that now you have given over a million dollars above and beyond your regular giving and our regular budget to the Momentum Campaign? And if you look on page two in your program, you can see the results of that. You're going to begin to see described there. And if you just, after the service, you just walk out this door and turn left, you will begin to see action on the Momentum Campaign, a result of, of, of your ongoing giving uh, to that. And so, as a pastor, I asked the question of the Lord, you know, a, few, a couple months ago, Lord, how can we keep this spiritual momentum going? Because here's the problem with success. Uh, success breeds pride, it breeds lack of focus, which eventually leads to failure and a loss of momentum. And so I said, Lord, how can we keep this momentum going? And the Holy Spirit led me to the book of Acts because the theme of the book of Acts is outreach, uh, having a heart for the lost. And that's what will keep us moving in the right direction. That's what will keep our momentum is not becoming uh, a, a me-centered church, but an other-centered church. The more a church has a heart for the lost, for those outside, they, they've said that the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We exist to serve. We exist to look out. Uh, we exist to reach people for Christ, to fulfill our purpose. And it's, as long as we do that, we will continue to have momentum. But as soon as we lose that and become self-centered and self-oriented, that's when we will lose this spiritual momentum. Remember I shared the statistics last week that pollsters find that when 90% of American Christians were asked, what's the purpose of your church? 90% of American Christians said, the purpose of my church is to meet my needs. And when that happens, no wonder 90 plus percent of churches in America are plateaued or declining. But the reason why our church is thriving is as long as we keep our focus on having a heart for the lost and being other-centered rather than me-centered. Now, the antidote to that is what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's read that out loud, uh, out loud together. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why our mission statement is finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. It's not about me. It's about helping other people find their purpose in Christ and then join our community and fulfill it for the journey. Uh, we were made for a purpose. Studies show 
that there's a hunger in people's hearts for purpose. It's one of the most attractive words for non-Christians. Did you know the research shows that one of the most attractive words for non-believers is this word purpose. They sense that there's more than just the world's lie to us that we're a group of random cells experiencing random chance. Uh, they're, they're drawn to a purpose in Christ, a significance, a meaning for life, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And, and, and research showed that they love that word. They, they are hungering for a purpose. That's why we include it as part of our name, PFB Purpose Church. Um, I was thinking about this with one of the shortest parables of Jesus. It's, it's the shortest parable, if not one of the shortest. It's only one verse. It's in Matthew 13, verse 52, where Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. In our teaching, in our connection with people, we go into our storeroom and we pull out treasures, some old and some new. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He says, I become all things to all people so that I, by all possible means I might save some. And so what I encourage you to do is if PFB, if Pomona First Baptist, if that connects with your oikos, then use that name. But if the word purpose connects with your oikos, then use that uh, name. Uh, We see this trend uh, across Southern California in some of the most spiritually healthy churches in, in Southern California. How many of you are familiar with Shadow Mountain Community Church? Dr. David Jeremiah, he's one of my personal heroes Do you know the Shadow Mountain Community Church used to be called Scott Memorial Baptist Church? And they changed it to Shadow Mountain Community Church so they could reach more people for Jesus. Uh, Lake Avenue Church used to be Lake Avenue Congregational Church. And they changed it to Lake Avenue Church in order to be more effective in reaching people for Jesus. Uh, My friend Tom Mercer, the High Desert Church, used to be called the First Baptist Church of Victorville. But they changed it to be more effective in reaching people for Jesus. Uh, this is my personal favorite, uh, Mosaic uh, Church. And my um, daughter, Leah, and my son-in-law, Aaron, go to Mosaic. And, and I laugh because Mosaic is like one of the hippest churches in Southern California. It's, it meets in a theater in downtown Los Angeles. It kind of caters to the Hollywood, L.A. kind of uh, crowd down there. Uh, kind of one of the coolest churches in Southern California. Mosaic used to be called First Southern Baptist Church of East Los Angeles. How do you like that? I just chuckle when I see that. First Southern Baptist Church of East Los Angeles. They changed their name to Mosaic so that they could reach more people for Jesus. You know, it's interesting, but we've kind of instinctively done that here at our church through the years. When I first came 21 years ago, uh, everybody would call this First Baptist Church of Pomona. And then after a few years, people on their own, uh, I began to hear people call it Pomona First Baptist Church. And then after a number of years, PFB Church, and, and now PFB Purpose Church. And, uh, you know, our youth and young adult pastors, they particularly love this word purpose. And so a month ago, they asked my permission to go out and to interview people uh, just right off the street 
as to what would draw them more uh, to a church fellowship. And so over the last couple of weeks, they went out to places like Claremont Village and Victoria Gardens and Montclair Plaza, and they interviewed 266 different people, all ages, um, a combination of churched and unchurched. And they found that by almost a two-to-one margin uh, that people were most interested in attending a church that included purpose uh, within its name. Uh, Now we come to chapter two and what the Bible says about how to keep our spiritual momentum. And the key the Bible, the key word the Bible talks about is enthusiasm. It comes from the Greek word en, en, en meaning in, theos meaning God, in God. By enthusiasm, we don't mean kind of a rah, rah, work up emotion, but instead it literally means you will find spiritual momentum and perseverance uh, in enthusiasm in God. You won't find it in materialism. You know how it is whenever you buy a new object, a new car or a new appliance at home, after a while, it, it, the excitement wears off. Uh, you won't find it uh, in success. Uh, have you ever noticed how you always dream and say, if I could just get that promotion at work, if I could just be honored in that particular way by my colleagues, if I could just, just, get, just get that pay raise, then I'd be happy. And yet you get it, and the excitement wears off. It's not in relationships. Have you ever thought, if I could just date that guy or that girl, or if I could just have that person say that they're my friend, then life would be complete, and that happens. And then it loses excitement. It loses its shine over time. Only in Theos, in God, do we keep that excitement and that momentum. Uh, Four things that Acts chapter 2 talks about. The first one is togetherness. It says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If you have a pencil or pen, would you underline the word together? It's repeated five different times just in this one chapter, Acts chapter 2. Have we put ourselves? do you put yourself in a place where you can be re-energized? The disciples were together. They put themselves in a place where they could be in Theos, in God, they could be re-energized in their walk with God. I showed uh, you this picture at the Christmas Eve service. Pop it up there one more time. I was back at my 40th high school reunion and got a picture taken with some of my uh, track buddies that we used to run track together. And something tells me that we're not in as good shape today as, as we were 40 years ago when we ran track. Now, part of that is age, but a big part of that is that we're no longer on a team with each other, okay? I work out alone. I don't work out as part of a team. And so uh, I have conversations with myself like this. The alarm goes off, Glenn, you ought to get out of bed. Before you go into work, you ought to go out for a run. And Glenn says to Glenn, yeah, but you're really tired, Glenn. And you were out late last night. You had a meeting last night. You're really tired. I think what you need more is to stay in bed. So Glenn says to Glenn, that is an awesome idea. And I roll over and go back to sleep. Or when I'm coming home from work, Glenn says to Glenn, you know, you ought to leave work early, get home with a little bit of daylight so you can work out before supper. And Glenn says to Glenn, yeah, but you've got this work that's got to get done, and you've really had a busy day, and you're really tired. So Glenn says to Glenn, maybe another day, and Glenn says, you're right, maybe another day. And this is what we end up like with, okay, after, after that, okay? When we were on a team, we were in much better shape than we are today. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. You know, Rooted that we've been talking about is a great place 
where you can be re-energized, to put yourself in a place. Rooted is a place where you can be re-energized, where you can get to know people in a deeper way. Uh, Not putting up the defenses and the shields, but instead get to really know each other. Uh, You've heard me say this before. It's one of my favorite illustrations. A school teacher injured his back and had to wear a plaster cast around the upper part of his body. It fit under his shirt and was not noticeable at all. On the first day of the term, still with the cast under his shirt, he found himself assigned to the toughest students in school. Walking confidently into the rowdy classroom, he opened the window as wide as possible and then busied himself with desk work. When a strong breeze made his tie flap, he took the desk stapler and stapled the tie to his chest. He had no trouble with discipline that particular term. Uh, Teachers, there's an idea for you. Maybe a variation on the don't smile till Thanksgiving uh, uh, theme. Well, a small group is a place where you can take off the cast and you can really get to know people. Small groups are also a place where most of the spiritual gifts are used, where they are most often used. We have this false idea that spiritual gifts are what we use in church here together. Only 0.1% of spiritual gift is used here. 99.9% is used either one-on-one with people or within a small group. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Bible says here that you are to act according to your gift. You are to act according to your gift. A spiritual gift is a particular ability or talent or giftedness or orientation that God gives to you. You're particularly uh, gifted in one particular area. And every believer has a combination of two or three or four of the spiritual gifts. And we are to act according to our gift. If your family's like our family, especially when the kids were younger, about a half an hour after all the presents are opened on Christmas morning or on Christmas Eve, whenever you celebrate Christmas, what is everybody doing? They're playing with their gift. If I get a new book, I'm reading that book. If Kimberly or the da- my daughters, if they got a new outfit, they're trying on the outfit. If my son got a new video game, he's playing the new video game. Everybody, after they open their gift, is now acting according to their gift. And that's what we're to do with our spiritual gifts. Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Now, I believe that prophecy means not so much foretelling the future as it means boldly standing for truth against error. That's how I believe we apply prophecy, the gift of prophecy today. In accordance with your faith, if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Um, the uh, pastors often talk about gift envy. And I've heard people speaking on spiritual gifts talk about gift envy where you wish you had a different spiritual gift than you actually have. And you know what I found in my observation of people through the years? I don't think gift envy is as much a problem as the opposite, which I call gift projection. And that's where you think everybody ought to have the same spiritual gift that you have. I believe your spiritual gift really determines your, your perspective. It, it's so much about you, your, your, your spiritual orientation, your sense of prioritization, what you think is important. And I think the bigger problem is gift projection, where you think not you're just jealous of other people's gift, but instead you think everybody should have the same passion for your spiritual gift that you have for it. For example, the gift of helps or service. 
Have you ever, if you have the gift of service, have you ever been tearing down something, you know, putting the chairs away, putting the tables away, and you look around, you're like, why aren't more people helping me? You know, uh, we're like Martha with Mary at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, tell her she should help me get the dinner put on. Why, why aren't more people helping me? Okay, well, don't get me wrong. We're all to do all of these things. I don't say, well, I'd help you, but I don't have that spiritual gift, you know. Uh, you know, Gene Scarborough doesn't say, Glenn, help me with this table. So sorry, not my gift. Now, Pastor Jay will tell you, an hour after Easter at Fairplex, I'm still yakking to people and talking to people and praying with people, and all around me, people are like putting things away. And I'm just oblivious uh, to it, you know, because I'm focused in uh, on different things. And so we can get gift projection, think everybody. Uh, it's like if you have a spiritual gift, it's almost as if the need or the person just lights up in the room. It's like a spotlight is on them. It's like they light up like a Christmas tree. It's like, it's like they have fluorescent orange on. I mean, people that have the gift of exhortation or encouragement, that's my spiritual gift. And when I walk into a room, I instantly see the person that's feeling left out and not being talked to or the person that's being discouraged. And sometimes I do gift projection and say, can't you all see this person's being left out? Now, don't get me wrong. We should all be looking for people that are being left out. But if you have the spiritual gift of pastoring or exhortation or encouragement, that person will just light up and you'll go over to them and you'll be drawn to them. If you have the spiritual gift of mercy, the person in the room that's got a broken heart, uh, the person that's going through a hard time, they'll just, they'll just light up and you'll see them and you'll be drawn uh, to that person. The same thing is true with the gift of evangelism. We're all to share our faith in Christ, but the person that needs Christ, uh, the person with the spiritual gift of evangelism, you'll be drawn um, to that person. That person will just light up for you. You'll see them and be drawn to them. Uh, the same thing is true with the gift of administration. Uh, you'll often do gift projection and say, why can't the church be as organized as I am? And you'll instantly see what needs to be done to get us more organized. And that's great because that's your spiritual gift. Or the gift of prophecy. You'll say, why isn't everybody as passionate about standing boldly for the truth and fighting against error as I am? Uh, now, not only um, gift projection, but we do ministry projection. I remember as a young pastor, I would often go to, to meetings. I don't do it as much now, but I would go to meetings of different ministry areas. So I'd walk into the youth leaders meeting. And it'd all be like, why aren't more people care about youth ministry like we do? And I'd walk into the children's ministry meeting. Why aren't more people interested in children's ministry like we are? Then I'd go to the missions meeting. Why aren't more people interested in missions like we are? And then I'd walk into the marriage ministry. Why aren't more people interested in marriage ministry like we are? And I just began to talk to them and say, look, there are people that aren't activated, and we need to go out and help them find their place of service because they do need to be activated. But it's not that everybody else is not doing something. It's that everybody's doing it according to their passion in ministry and to their spiritual uh, giftedness. I find that gift clustering happens as well. I, I believe that people tend to cluster to churches with regard to the spiritual gift of the pastor of that church. And so, for example, my gift is encouragement. I think you'll find encouragers gravitate to our church, and I hopefully think, believe you'll find our church to be an encouraging place. But if you don't have that spiritual gift, don't feel left out. You become even more important. 
If you don't have the spiritual gift of the adult Bible study leader in your Sunday school class, if you don't have the same spiritual gift as your small group leader, if you don't have the same spiritual gift as your pastor, that means you're even more necessary and more important because without you, there won't be balance within the ministry. It says in Ephesians 4, we get these spiritual gifts to equip God's people for works of service. You'll see in the box there in your study outline, spiritual gifts are undeserved special abilities given and controlled by the Holy Spirit through which a believer successfully serves others and thereby brings the body of Christ together to efficiently fulfill its purpose. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, my friend Tom Mercer, and you could just read this on your own. We're not going to go through it, um, but I'm just going to take a couple of examples. But read this this afternoon in your quiet time or before you go to bed tonight. But he's done something. I don't know if it's original by him or if he borrowed it from somebody. But um, we believe there are about 27 gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. Now, listen, people debate on that. Is that 27? Is it only those 27? And of course, they debate the nature of the gifts, like the gift of speaking in tongues and that kind of thing. Some people believe that these are just examples, that there are hundreds of spiritual gifts and talents and abilities, and these are just 27 examples of them, or even 27 categories, and there are all kinds of subcategories. But we believe that every person has two to three to four spiritual gifts uh, that, that are an emphasis for you. Everybody is to do all the spiritual disciplines, as I'm going to give you a couple of examples. But you will have two or three that you really gravi- gravitate to. And so my friend Tom, he went through, and he can find 20 of the spiritual gifts that are exercised immediately just in the second chapter of Acts. Now, some of them, as you look through, uh, seem like a bit of a stretch, but many gifts immediately being used here in, in chapter 2. Now, everybody is to do all these things, but some will be accelerated uh, within your life. Let me give you a few examples. Next page of your study outline. Let's skip down to number eight, evangelism. Everybody is to share Christ with other people. Everybody. That's why we talk about oikos here so much. Everybody is called by God to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. Everybody. But some will be especially gifted and what's called the ability to effectively share the gospel with unbelievers in such a way that people become followers of Jesus Christ. I heard a funny story back about a lady, and she was complaining to a friend about the Jehovah Witnesses coming to her door. And the friend said, oh, here's what I do. I keep an American flag on a pole, on a stand, right inside the door. And if they come to my door, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, by conviction, don't believe in saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. And so she says, I pull out the flag. And I said, before I'll say a word with you, you got to say a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And she says, that stops it right there. And her friend goes, that's awesome. I'm going to give that a try. So she gets an American flag on a stand right inside her door. Lady knocks at the door, pulls out the flag. She goes, before I say a word to you, you got to say Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Lady puts her hand over her heart, says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, says the whole thing. And the lady says, you know, in all my years as an Avon lady, I've never been asked to, uh, to, to do that before. So I'm really dating myself. Are there Avon ladies anymore? I don't even know if there are Avon ladies anymore. I just know my mother used to love the Avon ladies showing up. Uh, but at any rate, um, number nine, Administration. The ability to effectively and clearly understand the immediate and long-range goals of a particular part of the body of Christ. 
and to devise and execute effective plans for the accomplishment of those goals. It says in verse 41, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I tell you, any church that goes from 120 to 3,120 in one day needs the gift of administration. Oh, they must have been working overtime to get that uh, movement uh, mobilized. Now, um, look down at number 11, teaching. Now, that would be one you'd say, oh, well, only a few people have the spiritual gift of teaching. I don't believe that. I believe the spiritual gift, it says, the ability to effectively communicate spiritual truth in such a way that others will learn. We do this one-on-one and in small groups way more than the tiny little time that we're together and that I or one of the other pastors might, might be teaching here on Sunday morning. I believe we do it with each other. Uh, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you are a teacher within the home. Of course, we have this in small groups, but I believe we have it one-on-one more than anything. Uh, this, this is a two-way street. Some of the best stuff I get is after 8.30 and 9.45 service. You all will come up to me and share something with me, and I'll incorporate that in to the 11.11 service. I tell you, the best sermon I ever preach is driving home at the end of the day. Of all the good stuff people have asked me about it, insights they've given, or emails they've sent me during the week that I can incorporate in. So all of us have that spiritual gift. Number 12, pastor. You say, okay, Glenn, now that, there's just a few of those. Oh, no, I don't believe so. Pastoring, the ability to effectively assume a long-term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. I believe that if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're called to pastor your home um, in, your, in your adult Bible study groups, your Sunday school classes. I bet you, you know who the teacher is because they taught either before, this hour before, or they're going to teach in the next hour. Okay, So you know who your teachers are. But I bet if you think about it, You'll think about people with the spiritual gift of pastoring in your adult Bible study group. People that keep the prayer list and pray for people and get in touch with people or call people if they miss a couple of weeks in a row. They give them a call, hey man, you know, we, we, we missed you. That's the spiritual gift of, of pastoring. Number 16, apostle. You say, okay, Glenn, we got you on that one. Not everybody, how many people can have the gift of apostle? Okay, some Bible scholars do believe there were just 12 apostles and that was it. But I personally believe the apostolic gift is much broader than that. I believe it includes um, uh, the missionary gift where you uh, share cross-culturally. And, and tonight, I'm going to introduce you to somebody at the end of the service that you can hear from tonight that is in, in that category. But I believe it's any time you share the gospel cross-culturally. How many of you have somebody at work or you go to school with or in your neighborhood from a different culture. Let me see your hands. If you were to build an oikos friendship with them, a bridge across which you could share Christ, I personally believe that is the apostolic gift. It's been called the church planting gift. You say, okay, well, somebody like Josh Hoosman, who we sent out a couple of years ago, and now he's got a booming, thriving church of five or 600 in Indianapolis. That, okay, there's an apostolic gift. I believe it's anybody that's involved in the start of, of something new, a church plant or a satellite. Any of you that have ever attended our Claremont uh, campus, either for the first year when it was on Sunday morning or the second year now that it's been on Sunday night, that was the apostolic gift. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you ever, for those of you that just occasionally go up there, uh, even though you've been here in the morning, or, or maybe you regularly do that, I can't tell you what an encouragement that is. It has made us far more effective 
in reaching people for Christ in that community. Because when they walk in, I'm telling you, the difference between 100 people in the room and 200 people in the room is all the difference in the world. It's like a bigger snowball gathers more snow as it rolls downhill. And any of you that have, that have done that, thank you so much. It has given us critical mass, and it has made us more effective. A new person walks in there, and it feels like something's going on, as opposed to when it gets really small, not much. It doesn't feel like not much is going on. I believe that is the apostolic gift, and God has used many of you in that area as well. Number 17, giving. We're all called to tithe, to give 10% of our income, to the cause of Christ, and to meeting people's needs. The, but I believe some people are especially gifted in that, the ability to effectively contribute their material resources to the work of the Lord with extreme liberality and cheerfulness. Uh, some of you are gifted at making money. Let me just ask you a question. Do you really think God gave you that gift just to get more stuff? Absolutely not. He gave you that gift. We're all called to tithe, but some people are particularly gifted in in being able to give even above and beyond the tithe. It says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The only people that could sell property and possessions are those that had property or possessions. And they were the ones particularly gifted in that area. Now, at the bottom of the lower right-hand corner there in your study outline, Pastor Tomiko has put in there um, uh, where you can go online and take a, a test to figure out your spiritual giftedness. And I would encourage you to do that. Go home this afternoon and go there online. You'll spe- see how Pastor Tomiko put in there to do that. She would love to talk to you or one of the pastors. Our favorite thing is helping people figure out their spiritual gift and where they might serve in the church or outside of the church. We, this, is our favorite, this is what we're called to do. Pastors are called to equip the body of Christ for works of service. That's what the Bible says our job description is. And so I encourage you to look at that and to do that.